It is the season and the time of life where, and particularly the time of year, where we begin to think about our plans. We're always probably, for some of you, you are natural planners. How many of you are natural planners? A few of you. The planners didn't like that question because they did not plan to answer it. So uh, I'm a planner. I, I like structure in my life. I have systems that just makes me more disciplined. I have uh, all of the sermons for 2023 on a spreadsheet. I know what I'm going to talk about. I know the direction. I, that's my nature. I'm a planner. Um, one of our shepherds at one time said, maybe, you know, work in some flexibility in there. So I did. Every once in a while, my schedule, I have a, what I call, I've scheduled the spirit, right? Which is funny within and of itself to think you just kind of, the Holy Spirit fit in here. Um, but maybe you're not a planner. Uh, what do you think about spring break? You have, you have plans? Your summer. What are your plans for the summer? Uh, ladies, you planning to go to women's conference? Have you registered yet? Uh, just little things like that. You're always kind of thinking ahead and making plans. Now, somebody asked me this morning, do you have any, you have any big plans? I said, oh yeah, I've got big plans. In fact, I'll just share them with you. I got, I got big plans. Big plans. Big, 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 big plans. These are plans that I found belong to Northside, actually. They're not Toby's plans, okay? And we've got a whole room, full not a whole room, but uh, uh, quite a pile of plans just like these. I stumbled upon them uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it's quite fascinating to look at the architect's plan, the design for everything that's in this room. The electrical, the lighting, uh, for those of you with hearing assist devices, I think we have a wire that runs somewhere on the floor that helps that function. The air conditioning and the heating, which may or may not work depending on the day. All of this didn't just happen. It was planned. It was thought out. And some of the plans changed. And in fact, one of them for this auditorium, they made a pretty significant change from the original plan uh, about the baptistry. I found that kind of interesting. So there's, there's plans that we make, and there's plans and designs that we have for our own lives. And this morning I want to talk about the biggest plan of all, the biggest design of all, and that is God's plan and God's design for you. We're in a series this morning called Bedrock. And guys, if you'll advance the slide for me... Um, that series is really about the fundamentals. We said it was about the foundation. We talked about the difference of the, the storm of culture. We talked about the, the lighthouse of the church. And we discussed the foundation of truth upon which we are building our lives, upon which the church is built. Um, all of that didn't just happen either. It all was by design. It all came from a designer, and it's the exact same with you and I. You and I are no accident. We didn't just happen. Uh, every part of you shouts design. Every cell in your body points to a designer, and so we're going to talk about that this morning. I want you to stand with me 
please. I know you're comfortable, but I don't want you falling asleep. We are going to read from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Guys, if you'll advance that for me, please. Let's read this word together from the Word of God. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You may be seated. As we think about that scripture, it is foundational to understanding our purpose and our role and what we're doing here. Science can answer a lot of questions, but the kind of questions science can answer, and I love science, I'm a science buff, but the, 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 the questions that science can answer are what and how. What science cannot answer is the why. And so, as we talked about last week, we have to start with why. We have to start with God. We go to Genesis 1, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, now, there might be some other explanations for how creation happened, but they cannot ever get back to where did it all begin? Well, it was a a big bang. Okay, but what exploded? It was a singularity. It was this point. But where did that come from? You see, you keep asking the question, and what came before that? What came before that? What came before that? At some point, science stops being able to give an answer. The scripture points us to God. Now, we started with why. We started with God and talking about his uh, presence and power and authority. And this week, we're going to get a little more personal. The first thing that we see here in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 7, is that we are divinely designed. Go ahead. You were created by a creator. We have a tradition in our household that our, whenever our kids have a birthday, I'll tell them the story of the day of their birth and what all happened and, and where we were and going to the hospital and, and your parents and and what you were like when you first came into the world. It's kind of neat to do that. But that's not really the whole story, is it? Because my kids and me and my wife and all of you started before we were born. There was a lot of time within the beginning of our lives, that first precious nine months in our mother's womb. But the scripture shows us that God divinely designed us, human, human beings, man and woman, male and female. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, if you're turning in the scriptures, you're just going to turn one page over. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 is the continuation, the focus on the creation of man and woman. And it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils 
the breath of life. And man became a living creature. So we are given the breath of life. Uh, We are a living creature. Now, God created other living creatures, but we are the only ones that the Scripture says are made in God's image. That's really important to understand the distinction. I've told you about my dog, Charlie. Uh, Charlie and I have kind of an understanding. I'll make sure he's fed and watered if he'll just stay off my side of the bed. He doesn't always hold up his end of the, of the deal. Charlie's a very smart dog. He is by far the most tolerant dog we've ever owned, a little Havanese dog. But Charlie and I are different. Charlie's a created being, but Charlie's not created in the image of God. Charlie's different. Charlie doesn't have the eternal part of him. Now, I don't want to get into all, do our pets go to heaven and all of that. That's not what this sermon's about. My point is, your pets, animals, all the creeping things, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, they're different than you and I. This is what Scripture says. And we're formed by God, intimately and personally. Uh, Turn to the book of Job, chapter 10. The account of Job is interesting. After he suffers, he sits for a while and he talks to his friends and he makes a plea with God. And Job here is in the middle of a plea. And he says, uh, this is page 534, by the way, if you don't know where the book of Job is. He says, you clothed me with skin and flesh. This is verse 11. And knit me together with my bones and sinews. You have granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. Scripture testifies that we are divinely designed, that we are formed by God himself. From Adam to all of us, we are knit together in our mother's womb. Now, I'm telling you that you have been divinely designed. And some will tell you or try to explain your creation by removing the God part out of it. And there have been many attempts to do this. Okay? Brilliant scientists and minds. Probably the best known one is Charles Darwin. And Charles had a work that we call the origin of species. And in that theory, he worked through, in his mind, in his scientific reason, was it possible to explain the creation of man without the God part? To take the creator out of it? And he works through that theory, and I'm not going to go in depth to it, but he did He did, he was honest (laughs) in the shortfalls of his theory. In in the Origin of Nations, uh, page 167, there's this quote. Uh, To suppose that the I, with its all inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration could have been formed by natural selection, 
seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. Those are are Dr. Darwin's words, not mine. He's weighing his theory. He goes on to say, well, just because I can't explain it doesn't subvert my whole theory. But he never, he never is able to answer that question. I've gone through lots of stuff with my eyes. I know how complex they are. I'm amazed at the ability that I have with my eyes. Sometimes I close my eyes and just think, what would life be like without this? It's a pretty scary thought. And how much we depend on our vision. And how these tools, every part of them, just as, as Darwin said, is, is, is evidence of design, is evidence of complexity. That for it to happen absent of a designer is hard to explain, or as he would say, absurd in the highest degree. I'm not going to get into that. I just want to make the point that the people have tried to explain the origin, origins of you and I without a creator. And at some point, it falls short. At some point, we need a designer. And, and without the designer, our, our ideas, man's ideas, man's knowledge goes quickly astray. Now, I said that work was called the origins of species. That's how you know it. That's actually not the full name of Charles Darwin's work. Most people don't know this. That the original title, pay attention when they bring this up in biology class. When they say the origins of species, just simply ask the question, what, was, was that the full title of Mr. Darwin's book? They probably won't know, but if they do, they'll tell you that the original title of this work, of this theory, was by means of natural selection, the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Did you catch that? The origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. To me, this is evidence of what happens when we begin to diverge from a creator. We begin to stop seeing human beings as divinely designed and important and special, and we begin to start dividing them up. You are divinely designed. You are made in God's image. Don't you forget it. In fact, St. Augustine said this, Men go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motions of the stars. And they pass by themselves without wondering. We are in a created world, but the the zenith of God's creation is you and I. 
mankind, made in his image. The Psalms, of course, say it much better. David in Psalm 8, verses 3 through 6. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? And yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet. So you're divinely designed and you're also modeled by majesty. You are unequal in God's created order. Animals are solely physical. Charlie is, for as much as three-fourths of our family loves Charlie, he is just a physical being. He does a lot of the same things that I can do physically, but there's more to me than Charlie. You and I are given a a mind, the ability to reason, intellect, self-awareness, creativity, and free will. We're given a heart, something about you which has intuition and feelings and emotions. That's given to you by your creator. You're given an eternal soul, the the true part of you. I, I guess it's not really that you're given a soul. You are a soul. Somebody said, you're not a body with a soul. <laughs> you are, are a soul. All of you, for, for the rest of eternity, the majority of you will exist as a soul. The majority of your life, you will exist in spirit form. We get hung up in a 70, 80, 90 years, maybe 100. But, but Scripture says we're eternal in our nature. We are given the ability to procreate. Chapter 1, verse 27 says, we are male, made male or female. I understand that's a highly controversial statement in our culture these days, but it's true. Your gender, your sex is assigned by God. And this is not only assigned by God, and you were made when you were created by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but, but it's echoed by Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning God created the male and female? Scientifically speaking, changing your pronouns doesn't change your DNA. Scientifically speaking, take all the hormones you want, but every cell within your body will still have XX or XY chromosomes. And that is unchangeable. It's immutable. You can try to reverse it, but it will cause you great harm, physically and emotionally. And Christians should never stand behind that. You can have all the surgeries you wish. But after you die and are buried, if they ever dig up your remains in a hundred years, they'll look at the bones and say, this was male. 
This was female. That's within the, that's it within God's designed order. And what we see today in our culture is not order. It is disorder of the highest degree. It is chaos. It is hurting our children and will hurt our children's children. Again, that's not what this whole sermon is about, but it's important to understand the foundations so that we understand the rest. Number four, we are given authority over creation. We're told in verse 28 of Genesis 1, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. God designed us to be in charge, to fill the earth and subdue it. Not to mold ourselves to fit within nature, not to not, to not disturb the earth and not disrupt it. We're to, to subdue the earth. That's mankind's function, to bring order to chaos. And so, I don't want you to get the big head, but you need to know that compared to the animals, you are superior. You are made in God's image. And you are dominant. You're designed to be in charge. That's one of the things that God modeled and designed you to do. Psalm 139 says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It's pretty cool to think that the God who formed the stars and the God who formed the galaxies also formed you in his image. Back to the book of Job, if you're following along. Job 31, verse 15 Didn't he who made me in the womb make him? Did not one fashion us in the womb? Maybe maybe we don't give enough thought to how much work God does still today, even yet in the womb. From the moment your heart starts beating to the very last beat of your life, your heart will beat about a 100,000 times per day pumping about 2,000 gallons of blood through the chambers. A little bit more early on, a little bit less later on, but on average, you've got a muscle that's made very strong and designed to run your entire life. Your lungs will take, on average, about 17,000 breaths a day, and you didn't think about a single one until just now. Your brain never stops. Scientists have measured brain activity and give the estimate that some 50 to 60,000 thoughts pass through your mind on a daily basis. Not just right now, but even while you're sleeping. Your brain never stops. Your DNA, from the moment of conception, when when one cell from your mom met one cell from your dad and 
came together in a glorious explosion of light. And it's pretty cool. You can look this up. The, the moment fertilization happens, there's a, an explosion of light within the cell. YouTube it right now if you want to. In that moment, 23 chromosomes from your mother and 23 chromosomes from your father merge into making 64 entirely new, entirely new in the history of all creation, chromosomes. If you could take the DNA in one single cell and stretch it out, it would be over six feet tall, which is just a, a shade taller than your preacher from floor to the top of my head. And if you could read the characters, the four symbol characters that make up your DNA, if you read them at one letter per second, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it would take you 96 years to read the divine instructions that make up you. You've come a long way from a single cell. Some estimates are that you have about 75 trillion cells in your body. If you took all of the DNA in your body and stretched it, of the adult body, and stretched it from the earth, it would reach all the way to the moon and back 78,000 times. You are a miracle. And that you're sitting here, living, breathing, thinking, existing, is an ongoing testament to, to the divine design of your creator. You're a masterpiece. You're fearfully, wonderfully made by God. Just ask Olivia. We'll bring the sound up, guys. life begins. A new human being has come into existence. At fertilization, her gender, ethnicity, hair color, eye color, and countless traits are already determined. She begins to implant in the uterus about one week after fertilization. Her cells organize into what we call an embryo. At three weeks in one day, just 22 days after fertilization, Olivia's heartbeat can be detected. The buds of her arms and legs appear by four weeks. She begins to move between five and six weeks with both spontaneous and reflexive movements. At six weeks from fertilization, her brain activity can be recorded and bone formation begins. She can bring her hands together at seven and a half weeks and separate fingers and toes emerge. She can also begin to hiccup. At the beginning of the ninth week, Olivia will have grown from a single cell into nearly one billion cells, and she is now called a fetus. She will suck her thumb and swallow, grasp an object, touch her face, sigh and stretch. At 11 weeks, 
she is playing in the womb, moving her body and exploring her environment. Her taste bud cells have matured by week 12 but are still scattered throughout her mouth. Her mother will first sense Olivia's movements between 14 and 18 weeks, an event called quickening. Beginning at 18 weeks, ultrasounds show speaking movements in her voice box. Around 20 weeks, with a lot of help, babies have survived outside the womb. At 27 weeks, her eyes are responding to light. She can recognize her parents' voices and will even recognize lullabies and stories. Olivia has gone on an amazing journey during these last nine months. She will soon signal to her mother that it is time for delivery and greet the outside world. Olivia is a wonderful testament to her creator who made her, who made her in the womb of her mother. And you and I are the same testament. We're made by God for God's glory and in his image. Ephesians chapter 2, speaking about the perfection of Jesus he says, for we are in his workmanship. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You are designed by a designer to have dominion over the earth as male and female, to fill the earth and subdue it. Don't let anyone else try to deceive you. So what, what possible lessons can we take from this? What applications can we apply? Number one, we understand very fundamentally, very basic on the basic level that every human life has value. The rest of scripture will testify one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder, the intentional taking of an innocent life. Uh, Leviticus 24.17 says, whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. This is under the old law. There was, a, there was a difference in killing the animal versus killing the human beings because we are made in God's image. So, because life is created by God, uh, life is only designed to be ended by God. This is why murder and abortion and euthanasia are all moral sins. They are all against the will of God. They are all evil, and they're all from our enemy, the devil. John eight forty four, Jesus described Satan, and he said this, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. His goal is to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus came to do the opposite, to give life, that we might have it more abundantly. So, human life has high, high value. And every person is a soul. Every soul matters to God. So we should support life. We should support pro-life policies. We've had this go on in Kansas the, recently, the value them both amendment. Okay? The simple fundamental premise is that the life of the mother and the life of the baby are equally important. And some will say, well, you lost that 
vote. I, I didn't lose that vote. People voted against the will of God. That doesn't change the truth that every life matters to God. Now, more than just being pro-life and supporting pro-life, and I'm not talking politics, I'm talking a way of thinking here. We we have a responsibility to live pro-life. That's why Christians support things like pregnancy crisis centers and children's homes and homeless shelters. Why do Christians do that? Because life, whether day one conception to whatever age you are, has value in God's eyes. And Christians support life and the value of life because we're made in God's image. So what can you do? (laughs) Being supportive of pro-life is one thing, uh, but there's other good things to do. You can volunteer at the hospital. You can hold premature babies. You can be a hand at the bedside of a dying person. You can deliver meals on wheels. You can deliver the hung- uh, deliver uh, food to the hungry. You can adopt. You can foster. All of these are things we do because we value life. And more importantly than what our values are, is that God values life. So, Genesis teaches us about our divine design, teaches us that we are modeled after majesty, and it teaches us that life matters to God, and every soul is made for, in God's image and for God's glory. I quoted to you part of John chapter 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, Jesus talked about that Satan was a murderer, and that's his will to end human life and destroy human life. But then he said, I've come that they might have life. And how did he do that? By laying down his life for the sheep. And by the way, that's us. He laid down his life as the shepherd because he loved us that much, because he understood our eternal value in God's eyes. This morning, if you are ready to yield your life to that good shepherd, this is a great opportunity to do that. And not just to celebrate the value of life, but also to step into eternal life that Jesus promised. If you're ready to to make that decision to follow Jesus, I want to ask you simply, have you obeyed Jesus? Have you put him on in baptism? Have you confessed your belief of him in him before other people? If you haven't, This morning would be an excellent opportunity to do that. We're going to sing a song that Jason's going to lead us in. We'll stand, and as if you'd like to respond today, just head to the back, and one of our shepherds will meet you there to help you in that way or any other way. Whatever your need might be, if you have one, please head to the back as we stand and sing.